welcome to the Advance Your Art podcast, where we talk about the journey from artist to entrepreneur and everything in between. You've worked hard to hone your craft. Now take it to the next level with tips, techniques, strategies, and routines used by successful artists to grow their businesses and careers. Now, let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yuri Cataldo. How are you today? I am doing awesome, Yuri. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you so much. I'm uh, just enjoying the cool weather on the East Coast. How are things in your neck of the woods? It's actually not cool here. It's quite humid (laughs) in Southern California and actually surprisingly more humid and hot than other parts of the country where it's more like that. You know, it's more normally like that. But I like heat. I like uh, the sunshine. So I, I can't complain. Well, that's great. How long have you been in Southern California? So funny you asked that, Yuri, because I was just thinking about that. <laughs> Seriously, like like minutes ago. I, that's so weird that you asked that. But um, I've been here since the summer of 1989. So over, what, 20-some years? <laughs> it's yeah. been a while. Yeah. That's impressive. I, um, I've, I've, I've never lived in a place longer than five years, um, other than like where I grew up in the Midwest. So I find it fascinating. So why is it just because you really, really like Southern California or is there particular reasons why you're 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 still there? That is a good question. I thought that I would be one of those people moving every six or seven years because I grew up that way with my dad being in the military. So we moved a little bit, not as men, not as much as some other military families, but every about every six years we moved since I was young. So. For me to say that I've been in California for such a long time, um, the, the original plan actually was for me to stay throughout college. So that would have been yeah, like about four to six years and then move. Actually, I wanted to move to the East Coast, but <laughs> but I didn't. I got scared. So that's what's part of what's kept me here, my family. And um, I'm actually looking to move soon. I don't know how soon, but I, I have an itch to move and to travel more. So it's interesting that you asked that. Oh, that's great. All right. Well, I'm, I'm glad I could bring that part up this morning. That's, uh, <laughs> that's fantastic. <laughs> so, so you run a podcast called the it's the Dance Dancepreneuring Studio podcast. Is that correct? The, the Dancepreneuring Studio. So it's dance, dance, a play on words from right. dance and entrepreneur with I-N-G at the end. Dancepreneuring. Okay. Dancepreneuring. What, what made you interested in starting that podcast and what is it? I mean, it's. It sounds like it's pretty obvious what it focuses on, but but tell me more about that. I never thought that I would be a podcaster ever. I it was never a goal of mine. It was never something that I just I, it's just weird thinking, "Oh my goodness, I have this podcast now that I get to talk about two of my biggest passions, dance and business." And the reason I started started it, one of the reasons is because I wanted to see if I could do it, if I could put something such as dance, something artistic on a platform that's not visual and be able to talk about that. And I wanted a medium where I could promote dancers and choreographers who are also entrepreneurial so that they'd get a chance to talk about their projects and what the process has been like in their artistic and their business journeys. And it's been one of the most fulfilling things for me because I love to get into the thought processes of what's behind 
an artist brand and the journey that they've been through. And obviously there are similarities with all of us in uh, whether you are an artistic entrepreneur or not. And so a business mentor of mine suggested that I start a podcast and I thought, well, can I really do it? Because I hate the sound of my voice. (laughs) And I just, I, I had all these insecurities, which that stemmed from years of other stuff too. And so I thought, well, you know what, let me do this because I, I also didn't want to be one of those people that said, Oh yeah, I want to start this and do this and never do it and just not put action behind my words. So that's part of the reason why I started the podcast and to be able to talk about things that I'm passionate about and highlight people that and give them another platform to talk about their work. Uh, it's it's so much fun for me. It's very fulfilling for me because of the subject matter is so dear to my heart. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's a, a number of things. And I I never, ever <laughs> thought that I would I would be doing this. So that's that's how it got started, basically. Okay, excellent. And how long have you been doing it for? Since I believe it's been about, has it been two years? January 2015, I released my first four episodes, and I'm releasing episode number 131 this week. Wow, congratulations. Thank you. I appreciate that. Wow, yeah. So how do you find the time to to devote to podcasting? Is it yeah, is it something that you're then spending the majority of your time on? Is it also just a side project, or how does that work? I would love to spend more time on it, actually. <laughs> I would really love it to be my only that and speaking, which I, oh my gosh, I never thought I would say that I want to continue speaking. That's just, it's still weird for me to hear myself say that, but... Mm-hmm. I'm finding that there is so much impact that you can have with your voice, with your message, and that's what I'm finding with podcasting. So for now, I guess you would say it's a side project, but it's forefront on my mind all the time. I get ideas all the time for content Mm -hmm. with my daily life, with um, being involved in the dance world and the things I do for online marketing with my clients. It all fuels the podcast. So yes, it is a side project, but then... Everything that I do in my daily life fuels the content of the podcast. So how I guess how would you define that, right? I guess it, it's an all-involved process throughout the day. It's just, but I don't necessarily schedule when I'm going to record. It kind of I kind of have to work it in with other stuff, mm-hmm. and that's kind of the hard part of it when you have a lot of other things going on. But I've made a commitment to stick with it, and I I know that for people a lot of people that are starting out they have these grand ideas which is great to have grand ideas that they want all these downloads and get famous and all these kind of things and when it doesn't happen after episode number 5 then they yeah. quit right so right. i think people don't re- just just with anything else i think people don't realize how much work it takes and that it it's a marathon i'm finding it's a marathon because there have been times where i thought i love this but am I really supposed to be doing this? Am I really making a difference in that kind of thing? So um, I hope that answers your question. <laughs> yeah, it, it does. Well, that brings up another question then. So you're you're two years in. What keeps you driving forward with your with your podcast? Is it Do you get a lot of feedback from your audience? Is it something that's just already part of routine that you're working on so that it, it just automatically, the content and and doing this flow more easily or what is it that that keeps you pushing forward to do this for another year because there are a lot of people that i know who do get again you just you just said they get really excited about doing a podcast they do like three or four episodes 
And then you're right. They're not suddenly getting all these downloads and they're not getting all these sponsors. And they're like, well, this is stupid. I'm just going to give this up and do something else. So what is it that really keeps you going with this? It's a combination of all those things and probably stubbornness. (laughs) (laughs) Because for so long, Yuri, I was afraid to put myself out there and I didn't want to have any more regrets of giving up on myself and giving up on things. Granted, there are there are things that you need to quit. If something is not working there, you know, there's there's all kinds of variables, right? Everybody's journey is different in this entrepreneurial artistic journey. But I have to say I am a bit stubborn and persistent about it. And I love talking about the subject matter. I love highlighting the people that I get to interview, the relationships that I formed. And I love making a difference that I can be encouraging to someone through my story, through my journey, that even that, even all the mistakes I've made, the regrets I have, the disappointments, that all has encouraged someone or inspired someone. And I really get fulfillment out of that as well. And and also having my guests say, you know, I want to be back on the show and I want to continue this conversation and want to that their experience was good really makes me feel great. And so that's what keeps me going as well. Oh, excellent. So let's talk a little bit then about just your subject matter being dance. Um, so when did you first get interested in in the dance uh, world in general? And is that something that you studied in, in school or is it just something that's kind of evolved? I got interested in dance when I was about eight, when I started taking hula and Tahitian in Texas. My dad was stationed there and there was a community there. And so I started with that, loved it. And then I don't know why I quit, but um, we moved again. He got stationed in Hawaii. We got ex- we got moved over there. And the place where Hula and Tahitian are prominent, I stopped doing it. Instead, I got into ice skating and roller skating, <laughs> of all things. And then uh, that, yeah, that was really, you know, it was always something artistic, right? So and that had to do with movement. And then uh, he retired from the military and we moved back to Guam, where his family was that has a that had a business there and it's a small island it's a a small u.s territory there wasn't at that time there was not a lot available dance wise Mm -hmm. and so um finally when a studio opened up i took my first ballet and jazz class at age 14 so that's considered kind of late so I, i was also with uh students that were four five six years old half my age and here I was a teenager taking class with them but I didn't care because I got to dance so that's how I got started in it I did study it in um, college I went to a university in southern in the southern California area in this area called Irvine Mm -hmm. and at that time is one of the top schools for studying dance in an academic setting so I did study I had some uh, incredible teachers that have had really great careers with companies and had their own companies. But um, I quit right after I graduated. (laughs) So, yeah, so I quit after I graduated and uh, I did not pick up dance again to make a long story short until uh, about three years ago. So I had a 20 plus year hiatus before I started dancing again. Oh, wow. So what were you doing in your 20 year hiatus? Beating myself up, getting (laughs) depressed (laughs) because I wasn't dancing (laughs) and, uh, Got into a business model that was uh, very mentally destructive until I I didn't realize that until I got out of the business model, until I stopped pursuing that business model, Mm -hmm. how uh, incongruent it was 
Now, you would think that I would figure this out during the process, but I was so entrenched in that thought process system that I couldn't see the forest for the trees until after I was away from it, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. So, um, yeah, so it was it was a, a very interesting journey. Lots of mistakes made, lots of, oh, my goodness, lots of lessons learned and still things that I'm overcoming through that process. But not dancing, not honoring that part of myself, Yuri, that I loved so much and uh making decisions that I have regretted. But in this process, I'm so thankful I would not have changed anything because I've learned so much. Um, it was it really took a toll on me physically, mentally. I, I was not in great shape at all physically, mentally, and dealt with a lot of uh, internal and external issues in the process. Mm-hmm. So what was it or that moment that made you decide to get back into dance and to make a change? I was tired of being tired. I was tired of looking at myself in the mirror going, what happened? Why did I give up? Why am I talking about things I love and not doing anything about it? Why am I allowing the opinions of other people to dictate how I live my life? And so I was in a in a shaved ice snow cone shop and I had seen an ad for a studio in an area that had no idea, like I was not familiar with it. And it said um, all levels all styles and it's just a very short clip of an ad for studio and I thought you know what I got to do this I can't I just can't be away from it anymore I got to at least give myself a chance and so that's how when I decided and even then that process I was like oh gosh I'm kind of scared to go in there I'm not 20 anymore and this is just but I got to do this I got I got to at least give myself a shot and get back into shape my goodness at least get healthy you know (laughs) so so that's how it started. That's what what the that that little thing that just it was always in there, Yuri, I believe. But it just sure. there's that turning that tipping point, that spark that just turned right there. So that's what happened, basically. Yeah. OK. Interesting. So with with dance then and I guess let's let's, let's talk a little more about the dance world, particularly then about the subject of your podcast, because so the. All of the arts are having a problem, and they have had for a while. Um, dance, particularly, I feel like dancers are maybe the least set up for surviving what's happening in the with the economy and everything kind of changing over, and just the you know just the I guess the the lack of of funding happening in the arts because as it's like a studio artist. Um, like whether you're a painter, graphic artist, that kind of stuff, sometimes it's a little easier to think, okay, I can transfer this skill into something more, let's say, into the business world. Um, and having worked in, in theater, you know, I have made that connection multiple times. But dancers are, are different because it's usually, like particularly like in the, in the classical ones, there's, you're, you're done in groups. And there's not particularly a, an exact like, okay, so this plus this equals something else. Um, even though I've spent a lot of time chatting with dancers who have found that their the ability to kind of work within a group makes them perfect for uh, collaborators or facilitators or change agents. But in your own experience, what are like what are some things you're seeing in the dance world, and and how are you talking about the business side of dance to your clients? That is a great question and great observation, and I. Th- think more than anything, it has to do with your mental attitude. 
I think the myth of the starving artist, it's, it is a myth and it's not. I think it just depends on your perspective. I always thought when I was growing up and I had this, these grand ideas of, oh, I'm going to be a starving artist. I don't care. I love dance and I'll do whatever it takes until I started experiencing some of that. And I thought, I don't really like this. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't like struggling <laughs> like this. I, I don't mind, you know, I'm not one to shy away from work. I have an excellent work ethic. But I think there's a smart way you can do this. And one of the books I've recently read that I think summarizes a lot of what you asked and your observations and what I'm seeing is a book by Jeff Goins. I don't know if you've read it uh, mm-hmm. called uh, Real Artists Don't Starve. And I love the way he talks about it. And, and um, I think what I see and in my experience being back in the dance world and the different artists I've met is there is a remarkable difference in the mental attitude. Because if it's your goal with some of them is just, you know, I want to be a backup dancer for this artist. Mm-hmm. OK, great. There's there's protocol for that. You sign with an agent and you're at the mercy of your agent. You're at the mercy of whatever guidelines or restrictions or whatever you're going to get paid this much and even that the contractual stuff that happens is just unfair i think because i think dancers put a lot of work into things and don't get compensated well i do understand the reality of that Mm -hmm. and then there's those that have been able to take like you said um the skill set that you've learned dancing and expand that with collaborating in other team projects and realizing their worth and being open to developing that in another type of business model and still being staying true them, to themselves as an artist, which is why I've interviewed not only dance studio owners, but heads of dance organizations, people have that have gone gotten into other movement types that have been able to take their dance experience mm-hmm. and still honor that. And then those who have also created six and seven figure businesses with dance and staying true to who they are. But it all comes down to, I think, the mental attitude, because I also know dancers that are like, well, I didn't get a break here, so that's why I haven't made it. I didn't get this job or I, you know, so that's what I really, what I see. And before I felt like, oh my goodness, I'm not doing my job because I need to convince them that they need to change their mental attitude. It's not my job to convince anyone to change their mental attitude. It's my job to to convince myself to change my own and be responsible for my own outlook but um i think if a lot of dancers and artists would make that shift and be open to thinking outside of the box even though they think outside of the box creatively if they can think outside the box and allow people to sew into them that there are ways to make your art work and to monetize different areas of the artistic process i think they would find that that's going to help them overall in their dance career. And if they if that time comes where they don't maybe dance professionally or they want to expand out, it really comes down to uh, the mental attitude and the implementation of uh, the right strategies and tactics. Mm-hmm. Are there so do you encourage the, your clients and your listeners to use some uh, like particular types of uh, like on, like online marketing or uh, websites or that kind of stuff that that seems to uh, have a higher area of success. I do recommend more to what it's interesting you ask that because I at first when I started the podcast mm-hmm. I recommended a lot of more tactical things like use this tool use this but then I was finding the feedback I was getting was more about the mindset and so I've been gearing a lot I've noticed that too my content has been more mindset geared productivity 
uh, perspective? How are you looking at because there is no shortage of strategies and tactics for things. But if you don't have the right mindset going into what you're doing or you're not using what's right for you at the certain season in your life or certain season process that you are in your project, then the best thing could not be the best thing at that time, if that makes sense. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I have I de- it, my earlier episodes. I recommend quite a bit of different just because I'm geeky about that. I love that kind of stuff, <laughs> sure. you know, sure. but um, I'm finding with the feedback I got, it's a lot of, OK, well, how do I approach this? How do I look at this? What kind of mindset? And a lot of my own personal experience, I've been asked, well, what did you do to overcome X, Y, Z, that kind of thing? So it's been interesting how that's and I'm pretty sure you found that in your podcast, like you were saying you found based on the feedback you got or how you're feeling about how the content's going, you got to kind of shift things around. So that's yeah. what's happened. Yeah, definitely. You definitely, it's, I mean, I, I think it's interesting that you also brought up the mindsets because I have having spent some time um, developing courses for the college level and other things, you know, the, I was really as like, as you were really into the tactical side um, coming out of creating my own companies. Mm-hmm. going going this is exactly like this is what you're supposed to do like do this first and then this and then this mm-hmm. and then this and that's my exact blueprint to you know to do this like i i actually am creating a course right now and i think i might change it a bit but like i have sat down with friends and given them the exact strategy i have used to get seven figures worth of free publicity and it doesn't matter that i basically hand them this along with the templates they're like yeah mm-hmm. but Oh, it looks so hard. Like, is there an easier way to do that? It's like, but no, I mean, I, I just, I'm giving you everything. So it's, you have to just kind of, you know, it's, it's, you have to work on your need to doing that or, you know, having a mindset, mindset shift to, to really, you know, dig deep into that and, and change how you approach things because the amount of, you know, you're right. You, you can give out all of the like tactics in the world, but if people aren't in that mindset and think that they can't do it or if it's too hard or whatever that is, then it doesn't matter because they'll never go through the course. They'll never try it themselves. It'll just be, hey, that's a great idea. I'll get to that eventually. Correct. Yeah. And also I'm finding, too, that a confused mind doesn't make decisions and they it just – too many decisions or too much information can backfire. <laughs> so yeah. you don't do anything. And that's certainly the case for me. I, if I get overwhelmed, then it's, it, it stresses me out. So uh, I'm learning to try to simplify things and uh, really cater to what the questions that I get and the feedback that I get. And you know what I found too, Yuri, that I, that I thought was obvious before to me, like, I don't know why I didn't think of it is that a lot of people have come to me and it's not so much that they want my, input they want me to validate theirs and sometimes i can and sometimes i'm not able to either i don't see it from their perspective or i see it from a third party objective of you know what you need to you need to stop trying to be perfect and put in the work and adjust because that's the only way you're going to learn if it is working or not you can't just hypothesize and say well this is not going to happen because and wait it's such a pet peeve of mine you're seriously like Oh my goodness, because I, and I think just because myself, like, I think about the podcasting process, I could have waited till I got the perfect equipment until I had the perfect setup 
of and that my content was perfect and that I felt like my voice was ready <laughs> to do the podcast, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. but um, I'm so, you know, and I, I'm, I can also speak from that because I used to be very perfectionistic. Like I don't want to do this unless I know I'm going to be good at it and that kind of thing. So that stopped me a lot, yeah. but um, I've, I've since gotten over that <laughs> <laughs> and um, I'm finding that, that it's so funny because something's as artistic as dance and even other artistic forms where it's such an, ex, uh, uh, an outward expression of things. Yet at the same time, people pull back because they're scared of what it that it's not perfect or what others will think in that thing i think it's a really interesting dichotomy that you have to deal with and uh, i've learned so much in that process as well yeah i bet it uh, that is really interesting because you're right and i think about it a lot of artists are afraid to put something out there because you're right they don't think it's perfect however art is subjective so Mm -hmm. who's to say what's perfect like, exactly. Exa- like in whose eyes exactly are, are is so it's clearly it's it's more of an internal thing than an external thing, because if it's okay in your eyes, then just go with it. Because there's so much artwork out there that to other people it's absolute junk, that uh, it doesn't matter. It's it's whatever is most important to you. Yes, correct. And I think it's more to the, like I said the mindset and not having the regret of what if. That's my my question before was like, what if this happens? What if? And I had to get over and say, well, what is the possibility? What is the positive outcome? So phrasing questions from a different perspective has helped me so much, not only in podcasting, in dance, in my business life, everything. Mm -hmm. Just rephrasing the questions that I ask myself and putting on a different pair of lenses to look through. Mm -hmm. As a dancer, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on, on this. I have so I've, I've spoken at a couple of different conferences, and the question number one question I hear from other people in the dance world who are up and coming is that they're afraid to put out their choreography or dance on YouTube because of copyright issues, and they feel oh, like yes. yeah they feel like if they put it up there, someone's going to steal it because technically you can't copyright dance and there's been a lot of issues with this of like mm-hmm. even, even Beyonce ripping off some very famous dance uh, routines and dance scenes so how do you approach the idea of let's say copyright and and that that um, you know the, the the going back and forth of I want to put my stuff out there but I'm afraid people are going to steal it Oh, that is a good question, too. And that, yeah, that has been a big topic in the commercial dance industry, for sure. I'm not quite so involved in that aspect of it, in terms of that. But I will say the people that I have talked to, it's not so so much that they're afraid of being accused of something as opposed to, well, you're going to take my stuff. Like, I'm going to be copied. But the thing is, with art and everything, there's not an original idea out there. It's just recycled and repurposed through a different artistic viewpoint. And that's fine. That's what it's about. Mm-hmm. So um, the, the conversations I've had with dancers specifically, it's more like, well, I'm not putting my best stuff out there because someone's going to take it. And right. I don't necessarily agree. I personally don't agree with that because I think you have to – I'm looking at it from a different perspective. Again, a different perspective uh, from a marketing service value-given aspect that you put your best stuff out there and you know that you can produce even more awesome stuff as an artist, that creativity and and as an entrepreneur. I mean it's just if it's 
if that's what you, that's who you are, then there's I don't believe there's going to be a shortage of ideas. So mm-hmm. putting your best stuff out there and people responding and liking to that and um, your tribe, I think, will recognize the people that are really loyal to you know that that that's just if that's good stuff that you're putting out there, how much more that do they have to look forward to? That's been my experience. So on both sides of people putting out really, really good content and then, and even producing even more great stuff because they're constantly involved in that creative learning process. And then those who constantly hold back who are amazing, but they're so afraid of that side of being copied, stolen and all that, that they don't even want to try. Right. Oh yeah. No, that I, I agree with that completely. Because if you so if you think about it the other way, okay, let's say that you only, you know, you don't put your best stuff up on, let's say YouTube, which allows you to broadcast it to millions and millions of people. You you save it for you know that those few times that you're doing a local performance. So that means that maybe like a handful of people, even if you're absolutely an amazing choreographer, a few hundred people are going to come see your you know, your choreography and really know what you're doing. And especially, you know, early on, whereas if you are putting it out on YouTube, you have such a greater aspect of, to, to the audience and to expose it to other people that that could lead to even more opportunity. Yeah. And if you're so scared about like, like sign of some content, you might want protected in a membership site or something. And, mm-hmm. um, you can, you can also use other paid so it doesn't have to be YouTube. You can use, and I've talked to some artists about this. I said, use another service like Wistia or use something that you're paying for that you have control over and that you can protect a little bit better, your content a little bit better. So there's that education part of it too, where yes, YouTube is great. It's a great search engine, great for exposure, but there are other ways to combine all of this. Oh yeah. So what's this? I've never heard of was it Wistia. Yeah, Wistia, Wistia, or uh, yeah, that is you have, and there's better stats because mm-hmm. you're pay, if you're paying for something, you're gonna get more control over it. Right. So you know, just like if you're gonna have your website on, I don't prefer to have it on something that's free. I'd rather pay for it and have more control over the content and that kind of thing. So, and that's another thing too, educating dancers that okay, yeah, it's great to have a presence on social media, but what if Facebook goes away? Right. Not that it's going to, right? But you you don't want to build. They they can easily snatch. And I've had friends where they're con. You know, they've uh, they've lost so much on uh, YouTube. I have a friend actually that built. Oh my goodness! And ama- even before YouTube was really even popular for da- for dance, and even before social media blew up with dance, mm-hmm. he was one of the pioneers that really just um, had that already started of a lot of social engagement and all that kind of thing. But um. All of one day he lost, I think, like 70,000 subscribers just like with no and no uh, reason, no nothing. Wow. And so, yeah, so there's stuff like that that you can't control if you're using a free platform. But if you own your domain, you own the hosting and that kind of thing, you know, that all the technical that kind of stuff, stuff where I understand if you're an artist, sometimes you don't want to talk, think about that kind of stuff. But that's important. So it's important to have your own platform, too. So then that's another thing. It's a whole nother discussion. <laughs> no. <laughs> Right, definitely, and you know, and you're definitely right because you know um, I've got a few friends who are photographers, and when they put some certain things up on Instagram, Instagram takes those down or takes mm-hmm. away things because they don't agree with their content, and mm-hmm. and uh, or I can't, man, I can't think of that. There was that, um, there was a famous. It was like it was like YouTube that was out for a while, but it gave like small eight second vignettes, and I can't think of that 
of that what it is, but there were some people who got really famous on I don't think it's called not Venmo, but they got really famous on there, and then suddenly that platform just was taken down a year ago. So all that audience they had built up is now mm-hmm. gone. Yes, because, because no one's going to that anymore because it doesn't exist, and they didn't own any of it. Right. Uh, so then, so you talked about earlier you um, didn't think you'd be getting into speaking, but now that's what you're doing more. How did that evolve? Oh, boy. <laughs> so I, I think what happened is I don't know exactly. I, You know what? I did see a Facebook ad for this conference called Mid-Atlantic Podcast Conference. And when I started podcasting, I had already gone to several different business and self-development conferences that I, I learned so much from each one. I totally believe in live events for the education, the connection, and it, it just it gives you a different another perspective, another experience. So I saw this ad and I thought, and I've always been, uh, Yuri, since I started back dancing again, I'm going to continue to push myself out of my comfort zone because I don't want to have any more regrets. And I want to see what happens. I fall on my face. OK, so what? I learned something. So I submitted to speak at this conference last year thinking, OK, let's see what happens. Let me put myself out there because I, I don't that's not my goal to speak, but let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. So. I got accepted and I thought, oh gosh, this is happening. So, yeah, so that's, that's how it happened. And then when I got there, uh, it was really cool because it was really cool to meet other podcasters because I had not gone to a podcasting specific event. Mm-hmm. And one, one thing that I love about podcasting is that you can podcast about anything, mm-hmm. anything. And so I met different podcasters who, the subject matter I would have never thought and also people that have been doing it for over a decade, which I thought it hasn't even been like really popular until, you know, recently, kind of, not even that recently. But wow, like you've been podcasting when it was when po- people didn't even really know what podcasting was. And so to meet people like that. And um, so when I got up there and we had about it was like a TEDx style talk. So I was able to talk about my journey of how I got into podcasting and that whole process that we talked a little bit about in the beginning. And I thought, this is kind of cool <laughs> because I was able to because I had people come up to me afterward telling me about their dance experience. And I thought, oh, my goodness, these people, I, I related to them on certain levels, even though their podcast was different mm-hmm. and their subject matter was different. And we come from different backgrounds. We connected on dance of all things. And so it's several. I mean, I was surprised that, oh, well, I, you know, my I I did this and I thought, oh, you know what? I can get back into dance, too. And I, I'm going to I was just thinking about taking a dance class and the commonality that uh, that connectedness that I thought, oh, my goodness, I could maybe do this. And and uh, it scared me. And I thought, oh, yeah, OK, good. It's out of my comfort zone. I'm going to continue pushing myself out of my comfort zone. So that's how it started. And, and it took me a while to admit, oh, it's kind of weird for me to think, oh, I want to be a speaker because, like I said, I hated the sound of my voice. I was so self-conscious about so many things. And now I'm, I'm getting over it. <laughs> so the podcast has helped with that. Sure. And now um, this week coming up, I, I get to go back to this wonderful conference. And this time I got asked, I actually got asked back and I have 30 minutes now to speak and teach about podcasting that I love, dance, business, all the stuff that I've been through. And i I feel so humbled and honored and but scared and excited at the same time. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, that's great. Congratulations. Thanks. So what are the uh, what are the details on your speaking event then? Well, it's called it's called Mid-Atlantic Podcast Conference and it's in Swedesboro, New Jersey. 
And if anyone wants to attend that's in that area, I believe there's still time. And if they send me a direct message, either on Facebook or on my site or whatever, whatever way you can contact me, then mm-hmm. I believe I can actually get some tickets for you. So otherwise, you can always go to their website, too. It's under Mid-Atlantic Podcast Conference. But lots of different podcasters, different subjects, different some very influential podcasters there that are um, that will be there speaking. Okay, great. So because you're going to then be speaking about your podcasting journey, what is what is the one thing that has helped you the most in your podcasting journey right now? The one thing that has helped me the most. Mm-hmm. The one thing that has helped me the most is to learn to ask myself the right questions. Like, what season am I in? What am I feeling? What is the purpose of what I'm doing? It's not only for podcasting, but for every other area of my life is is taking the time to step back and ask myself these questions and honoring the responses that come either from what I feel inside or from other people and that it's okay. There's no right or wrong. Because for the longest time, Yuri, I questioned everything in terms of is this going to – how is this going to look to these people how is what are these people going to think of me if I say this? Is this the wrong thing to say? Is this the right thing to say? It was a constant overthinking because I'm all about deep thinking. I'm all about reevaluating and that kind of thing. But I think, again, the perspective, the mindset, the approach with it makes all the difference. Mm-hmm. So that's what's helped me the most is asking myself some questions about and uh, taking some time to reflect on the answers and and whatever decision I go through with the podcasting with everything else. It's okay. If I make a mistake, it's okay. I'm going to continue making mistakes before it was like, oh, my gosh, if I make a mistake, this is going to happen. And I'm oh, my goodness, I'm such a bad person. It was so so self deprecating. So that I think for me has been priceless because it's eliminated a lot of (laughs) emotional turmoil, you know, (laughs) So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I really appreciate that question. Yeah. With everything that you're working on, how do you manage your time and focus throughout the day? Like, do you have uh, certain times a day where you're working on certain projects? Do you have a, a routine that you follow? Or or how do you do that? Well, dance and yoga definitely help. <laughs> and so <laughs> does me. a lot of self-care, which before I felt very guilty about really helps get my mind in the right perspective. Also, when I am working, I do try and take breaks. So I, I use a, it's called a tomato timer. That There's lots of different variations, Pomodoro, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so I focus for blocks amount of, blocks of time. And then when I break for a few minutes or 15, 20 minutes, it's, I really try to focus. It's not, I'm not perfect at it, but that's really how, if I stay focused that I have certain blocks of time, I don't have a, a set, a total set routine, except for when it comes to my my physical um, activity, and then also with the meditation and reading and that kind of thing. That, but I think pre- that preparation time is what really helps me to stay focused, and um, I, and also being attuned to when I get ideas with uh, with content for podcasts or for whatever business projects I'm working on. So I'm always making sure that I have something to record it to record something. 
because I found before that, oh, yeah, I'll remember next time. I'll remember it later because I have a good memory. No, I don't. Otherwise, I would have remembered. Right? <laughs> so I, you have to write it down somewhere, whether it's in your computer or on a notebook or whatever. But being very cognizant that all these things coming in, pay attention, write them down. Um, and also that different phases, like in my in the last couple of years, I've had to change a lot of things because of different phases of my fitness and that kind of thing and going through that. And I had to be OK, okay with that because before I would think, OK, I have this figured out. This is set. OK, we're not going to veer away from this because I have it figured out. And then yeah. something changes and then I get frustrated like, oh, wait, I thought I had this figured out. But now I'm definitely more go with the flow. Things require change is going to be inevitable. And um in order to get to another level, you have to change things up. And that's just the nature of life, nature of business. And uh, if you want to grow, that's you have to. And I, I've had to uh, come to that realization to remind myself this is this is what life is. It's about that those ebbs and flows. And it's so elementary and so logical. But for the longest time for me, Yuri, it was not. It was like too many mind games that I put upon myself. <laughs> oh, sure. I get that. With with your own work and actually in your own life and the, and the people that you work with, the idea of fear has to come up constantly, especially in the arts world. How do you overcome times when you're apprehensive about something or fearful? And then how do you encourage your, your clients or even your podcast listeners to uh, embrace what they're afraid of and get past that? Your timing is so impeccable because I just <laughs> – it's so funny, Yuri. It, it's funny, and it's not because you're you. I I think you're sensing something because I just uh, talked about this episode I did about three ways to embrace fear. Mm -hmm. One of my past sessions. So the way that I approach it is that if I'm feeling fear, most likely I'm supposed to be doing it because it's a test, and it's something I also refer to, and it has been referred to by many people called the resistance. So, like with this. Quite honestly, with this podcast conference, even though I had been before and I'm going again and I've had some other opportunities to speak, I was like, oh, gosh, I'm scared. I, I have to cancel. I, I cannot do this. Even now, I'm like not now like when we're talking, but just even a few as short as a few days ago, I was really starting to feel, gosh, I can I do this? I, I know that I've been doing this, but there's going to be all these influential podcasters and, and they're way ahead of me. And, you know, all these things that come in, come into your head and you're comparing. So that's when I know when this stuff comes up and it still does. OK, I got to do it. I, it. It's it's really like for me just that when I feel that right away, it's OK, I got to force myself. And it's basically just recognizing the feelings of the fear forcing myself to go through the process and it happens with me in dance class when I'm with dance professional dancers that are more uh, in more advanced in their technique and I'm probably I hate to say the worst but like not so advanced because I take different levels of classes even going to the class I'm like oh, I do I I'm going to turn around I don't want to take I'll take I'll take an easier class no that's when I know Okay, gotta gotta just drive there and step in there, and I'm always so glad. Even when I'm frustrated, I'm so glad that I did because again, I would have regretted. And that the the question again, I ask myself: If I don't go, am I going to feel relieved or am I going to feel unhappy or regretful? And so it's assessing. That's how I I get through that. Is I assess how am I going to feel afterwards? Okay, if I feel I'm going to regret it, I'm going to go do it. 
even if it means I fall on my face, I'm the worst dancer in the class. Even if uh, there's people there that I'm, I don't know, and it's an unfamiliar, unfamiliar situation, which parts of this podcast conference it's going to be because there's going to be new people there and new speakers and that kind of thing, then that, that means I need to do it. And that's how I encourage the people that I talk to, too, and also on the podcast is you don't want to have any regrets. I've had way too many for the last 20 years when I gave up the thing that I love the most, way too many. And so um, I'm trying to save people time and heartache. <laughs> so that's how I approach it. Okay, excellent. So with everything then you've done and, and worked through, what would you say is the best advice you've ever received? That I have everything within me to succeed already. I'm not an accident and I wasn't created to fail. And that took a long time for me to realize that, that, that those things are already within me and within everybody that is walking this planet. And it's just a matter of finding what's already awesome in there and having that come out. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's, that's great and uh, very profound. Thank you. Thank you. Excellent. So, Annette, thank you for taking the time to chat with me. I really appreciate it. If the listeners would like to see more about what you're working on and listen to your podcast, what is the best way they can uh, find you and find it? They can find me at AnnetteBone.com. That's A-N-N-E-T-T-B-O-N-E. There's no E at the end of my name, .com. There's an end at Bone, Bone, just like the bones that hold up your body, right? So that's easy. And I'm on social media as Annette Bone. And then um, the podcast is called The Dance Printering Studio on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, or Google Play, or any of the other podcast directories. Perfect. And I will make sure I put the links in the uh, show notes so they can just click right through. Yay, thank you. Excellent. Again, thank you so much for chatting with me and and sharing this information. I really appreciate it. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks, Yuri. Thank you. I did too. Have a good day. You too. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Advance Your Hour podcast. If you like this episode, please go into iTunes and give us a five-star rating. And while you're there, hit the subscribe button so that every single time I release a new episode, it will go directly to you without even thinking about it. If you're interested in hearing older episodes, please go to AdvanceYourArt.com where you can find the catalog of everything I've done so far, as well as contact information and projects I'm working on. Thank you again, and have a great day.